Super Dave. The legendary Jim English. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. And uh, well, this is Jim English. And welcome to the Super Dave and Jim show. This is the Who Gives a Shit Files. And Super Dave, I got to start off with an apology. Okay. Because I fell victim to an April Fool's joke because I erroneously reported last time we were on that this, the uh, San Antonio Spurs made a sign and trade for Victor W., who is supposed to be the first pick in the draft. Well, it was an April Fool's joke that I fell for, and it never actually happened. So guess what, gang? I apologize. I was taken in. So anyways, uh, there we go. And also, too, is Super Dave did not give himself the nickname Super Dave. It was bequeathed to him by a bunch of people he used to work for when he ran a cable show, a, a cable show, right, Super Dave? Yeah. In the South Bay. Yeah, I had a cable TV show for 10 years. Wow. So we are privileged to have a personality and an experienced broadcaster like Super Dave be our NBA consultant. So thank you for showing up, Super Dave. Oh, I always enjoy this, Jim. And there's, there's so much to talk to when you get into the NBA playoffs. But we've had a, a full season here of uh, uh, you and I doing these podcasts. And it's so much fun doing it with you because we come from different uh, directions. But we always get to the, to probably a, a many points of agreement. But it's, a, it's an exciting time of year, Jim. Absolutely. And Another tradition that we have in the Super Dave and Jim show is we talk about our friend Randy Larson, who brought us together. We would never have known each other had it not been for Earl Randall Larson, nor would you be able to enjoy this podcast that gives you insights and wisdom on the NBA. So what are your memories, thoughts? Tell us about Randy Larson. Well, you say we talk about Randy, but we, we really make this a tribute to Randy uh, because of the basketball connection that you said, like brought us together, but also was a passion of Randy's. But the thing I want to focus on today is that Randy's sense of humor one of the funniest guys I've ever known on top of being one of the, the most uh, uh, intelligent and uh, charismatic, but his sense of humor came through in so many subtle ways. Uh, the thing I remember most, Jim, is when he'd leave me a voicemail message and it was always something, you know, it had something to do with the basketball game we were about to play, uh, but it was, uh, it was hysterical and his own messages that he put on his machine greetings were always fun. And, and he takes the, the phrase lights up a room to another level, Jim, because to be in the same room, whether there was 10 or 100 people, you just love being in the same room with Randy Larson. He was so funny. And speaking of voicemails, you know what he used to do? We were roommates. So when the, the Lakers and the Celtics were playing each other in the NBA Finals in the 80s, he would leave 
like when Boston beat LA, he would say it was Bud Pierce was our other roommate. He goes, Jim and Bud will return your, I'm sorry, Bud and I will return your call, but Jim is too busy crying over the Laker losses. <laughs> We're not sure when he'll come out of this funk, so you probably will not hear from him. So, uh, you know, he always used to rub it in, and we'd have to watch the games, you know, the Lakers-Celtics game, because, he, you know, he was a huge, huge Bill Russell fan, you know, because he grew up in the, you know, right outside of San Francisco in the Sacramento area. And that's where Bill Russell won two championships. And then he, then Randy followed him to the Boston Celtics and was a huge Celtics fan. So he used to, he, he would rib me like you can't believe, like you can't believe, but you know, what are friends for, right? Exactly. And it's a, it's a great, uh, great memories that we share here every, uh, every time we do this podcast, Jim. And it's just, uh, I, I'm just so pleased we were able to do that. And uh, the fact that Randy brought us together. And, and speaking of your, uh, some of your paranoia with the Lakers and, uh, and what Randy would rib you about, uh, one of the things that you and I do on this podcast is we, we come from our perspective, and I tell everybody that I started watching the NBA in 1958-59 season. So that's how far back I go. And uh, you're just a little bit younger than me, so you can't you can't remember those days of the 50s very well, I wouldn't think, Jim, right? No. I. You know, when the Lakers moved to L.A. is when I started following them with Weston Baylor. Uh, but, you know, being a historian – of basketball and listening to you on that podcast, I've gained insight into the fifties and how they played. And, you know, I think you did a great job, Super Dave, I'll kiss your ass. Um, I, I think you did a great job in one of our first podcasts saying that really the father, the architect of modern basketball is Red Arbach because he had five distinct positions with five distinct players, there was no blurring. You know, you, he invented the point guard. He invented the shooting guard. He invented the power forward, center, and small forward. So, you know, I've gained a lot of insight from your knowledge and from what you talk about on this podcast, Super Dave. Well, actually, you left one out. Is There's six positions that he defined because he had the sixth man, Frank Ramsey, was the first guy known for being a quality player that could start for most teams, but came off the bench for our back. So that's the sixth position that he defined. And, and, and if you don't go back to basketball in those years, you can't, you can't appreciate that history, but your statistical knowledge, your uh, um, respect and your studying of history, Jim uh, is, is pretty pronounced and it really helps us kind of, just cover all angles. And in that vein, Jim, I have a, a trivia question for you. Are you ready for this uh, one? Let me. Okay. I, I decided, to, since I've talked about it before, my first season watching was the 58-59 NBA season. What do you think, and I went back and checked, what is was the field goal percentage? And remember, they only took two-point shots at that time. Hardly anybody 
shot from beyond 25 feet. What do you think the shooting percentage was? And, you know, I'll give you a, a couple of percentages, Leeway, in the 58-59 NBA basketball season. Well, from my knowledge, it was low. And, I, you know, my tendency would be to go real, real low. I will say 42%. Okay, that is very low. And I think a lot of people would be in that, in your, in your range, but probably a little higher. The actual field goal percentage in 1958-59 season was 39.5. Wow. Thirty point five. Wow. See, I knew you. I knew you're such a story that that would still shock you. So when I was watching basketball at those eras, and I was starting to play myself, uh, you learn a lot from the playing the game. Well, the game I watch today now, Jim, uh, with the present NBA, they took they take shots I never dreamed of. They have moves that I never knew that existed. And you're able to uh, adapt your game to the style that you see when you're growing up. And they're, they're, they're practicing to the point of, of, of making these incredible shots. So now let's go right up to the, the current time. Did you know what the two-point field goal percentage was this year in the NBA? Well, I, I know it's higher than, what did you say, 39.5? It's definitely higher than Higher 30. than that. So I would have to say 48.5. Uh, and, and once again, I think you're in the ballpark with a lot of people would play. Well, here's what it is. This is the two-point field goal percentage for, for this year, 58 54.8, That is insane. It is insane. 54.8. The three-point percentage this year was almost as high as the two-point percentage back in 58-59. It's 36.1% this year for three-point shots. That's which stunning. Is, it is stunning. 36.1% from three is just outrageous. So that sort of brings us in, into the contemporary oh. game of basketball to, to understand how much it's developed. And when I have an opinion, I at least talk from a, 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 a tapestry of, of history of the NBA uh, because I've seen it all grow from those early years. And they really, I think those numbers, Jim, you'll appreciate, do show how long ago that was. It's such a oh, different Oh, my Lord. Game. Yeah, it's truly amazing. And, and you know, I am, I am odd skill level and the explosive athleticism of the current NBA player. And to me, it's astonishing, Super Dave, and for our for our uh, listeners out there, Super Dave and I do not rehearse these at all. So we are talking off the cuff and we just go down tangents. And, you know, the tangent we're going down now is that the NBA has such incredible athletes that it is stunning to me that there are athletes within the NBA like Ja Morant and Trey Young and some of these others that are so physical, more physically gifted than all the other NBA players. It's just it's it's stunning to me. It is stunning to me, Super Dave. Same here, Jim. It really is. And it's 
it's so much it's why we enjoy the game so much is because the athleticism uh, is, is tremendous but the also the uh, the way the teams play in terms of coaching and and the sophistication of the game today uh, the, the reason for those field goal percentages being so high Jim is because of, of that athleticism we're talking about but the the shot selection I, th- I think we talked about this on our last podcast you hardly see a bad a, a shot taken that's a bad shot you know they're all very uh, you know t- diagrammed and they they, they 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 move so quickly from side to side and the ball hits hits the hand so quickly that they, they they that's why the percentages are so good Jim they they have these these sophisticated offenses and they don't take bad shots that they used to take yeah it's a confluence of factors you're right super Dave you know the athleticism the practicing that they do the coaching the diagrams you know the plays that they run I mean you know I mean I would be curious a percent after a timeout what percent of shots after a timeout and the coach sets up a play i mean oh. it's like almost every i'll bet it's in the 70s almost oh, every I time agree. they score no it's remarkable that's a that's another great observation jim because there there is something about that is uncanny and that's why they 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 are those are timeouts are so strategic because when there's a run and everybody, you know, even before the, the, the coach calls the timeout, we as fans can pretty much predict it's coming because you see the momentum change and that, that play after the timeout gets the momentum back for that team. Pretty remarkable. It is. It is amazing. And, you know, that is in stark contrast to what we were watching in the uh, – in the uh, NCAA tournament where the, where the shooting percentages were real, real low. And, you know, that's what, that's because if you make the NBA, I mean, you know, all those, of all those players that played in the final four, there's going to be three or four of them, maybe one or two per team, uh, no more than eight that'll make an NBA team. I mean, it just, it takes a phenomenal athlete, with phenomenal skill, or it takes a psycho that is so that works so hard, like say Alex Caruso. Alex Caruso, you know, he had I did a podcast on him and Austin Reeves, and I mean those guys were undrafted. They're six five, which is they're shorter than you are, Super Dave. And yet they made an impact in the NBA through hard work and training and grit and toughness. So I just love the fact that in order to be an NBA player, you have to be a superlative athlete. You have to either that with excellent skills or you have to be somebody so dedicated to your craft that you work your butt off. You got to be the first one in before practice and the last one to leave. I mean, it's just astounding to me. I, I just love the NBA, Super Dave. I love it. I do too. And one of the things in terms of practice that you can do, and it's one of the rare sports that you can practice by yourself. And I became a shooter because of my hours and hours and days and days of practicing shooting. And the the 
what we're seeing now with the three-point percentage going up to 36% from that far out, and now we're seeing you know, guys put it up from the logo just behind half court, and they're hitting those shots. I mean, they're actually extending that line. That's because of hard work on your game and the 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 exercise and the uh, when you look at LeBron James and what a guy that's that's approaching 40 years of age is doing on the basketball court is a, a testimony not only to his his work ethics uh, but paying attention to his health and his body. And he's he he's still the team player he was at when he broke into the league. He looks to make other people better, but it's because of his long uh, hours that he p- spends in the gym and the the years he spent with different teams and different players that makes him so effective, Jim. Oh, his his dedication to his craft is you know is that of legends. I mean, that's why he's in the discussion for the goat and, you know, because of his commitment to the game, because of his commitment to his body and his commitment to health. And here's a stat that I'll throw at you, Super Dave. He is the second most generous athlete in terms of giving to charity on the planet. He is second to Ronaldo, the, the, uh, the soccer player. So he gives more money than to charity than anybody else besides Ronaldo. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah, that's according to Forbes magazine in 2022. Now maybe it's changed, but that's you know the last thing I read on that. I mean, it's you know he's not only a generous you know he's a generous human being as well as being you know on Mount Rushmore for basketball history. Well, I still love seeing uh, a superstar of his caliber. Uh, You know, there was a game last week where uh, the game's on the line. He drives, the entire defense collapses on him under the basket, and he shoots it into the corner to Schroeder, who hits the three-pointer that should have won the game, but it didn't. (laughs) But it's just – a testimony to his team concept. And if you think about the teams that he had when he was with Cleveland, when he was with Miami, I mean, there were not, uh, they had you know, one other superstar with him, but not the threesome that uh, seems to be building a lot of teams now. Uh, he had a bunch of, you know, role players around him, Jim, and he, he brought these championships home uh, with his dedication to team basketball. Uh, you know, I mean, a case in point is he won a championship with Kyrie Irving. I mean, <laughs> Kyrie Irving has been toxic wherever he's gone with the exception of when he played with LeBron James. Yep. I mean, look at that. You know, a solid uh, – he took down a solid Celtics team. Look what he did to the Brooklyn Nets. The – Dallas Mavericks, before he got there, were solidly embedded. Not in, They were like seventh, I believe. Or no, I'm sorry, fifth or sixth in the playoff. And now they dropped down, they dropped down to the play-in. Uh, you know, they're not even in the play-in games. They weren't in them this year. So, I mean, this is like LeBron James being able to win a championship 
Kyrie Irving. Stunning. I mean, yeah, uh, you're right about uh, Irving being toxic, and uh, it's a it's a shame what happened to the Dallas Mavericks as they uh, as they had, you know, they thought putting him with uh, Luka Doncic was going to be a a stroke of genius when it was a st- stroke of idiocy. Yes, I mean you can't have, you know, you can't have two players that don't play defense. Now, Luca is your centerpiece, and he has got undeniable talent. I mean, he was second in the league in scoring, and I think he was third in assists, and he still gets eight rebounds a game. He's got to have the ball in his hand, but he doesn't play defense. You know, and that's why, like, let's take a look at, like, Steph Curry plays pretty good defense, but he's little, he's kind of frail, and what they did is they surrounded him with defensive players. I mean, Clay plays defense. And, uh, you know, Green, um, Dr- Draymond Green plays defense. And Wiggins plays defense. And Looney plays defense. And Gary Payton Jr. plays defense. So that is an example of a smart club, a smart GM, who sees their superstar as their centerpiece and building a team around him that will supplement his weakness. Well, a lot of times defense is uh, underrated and and underappreciated. And uh, that factor that you bring up, when you have two of your five starters that have a weakness on defense, uh, you're, you're really asking for trouble. And with the parity that we're seeing now in the NBA, uh, you've got to be strong on either end of the floor. You've got to go seven, eight players deep into your bench. So uh, there's some factors here at play that I, I don't know if all GMs and owners quite comprehend. Uh, but we're, we're going to try to shed some light on that, Jim. We are indeed, Super Day. We are indeed. So I have uh, two directions we could go. And, you know, you're our esteemed guest here, and we love having you on. Would you like to have a brief discussion about MVP before we go into our picks? Okay. I mean, it's, it's not going to last very long for me because it's a, it's a popularity contest. Uh, and it really has little bearing on the, uh, to me on the practical aspects, but uh, I'll let you start off, Jim, because I have my feelings. Well, I, you know, there are, I wanted to put an American born candidate in there. So there's, I put in four and did a statistical comparison and, you know, Embiid, Giannis, Joker, and I threw in Tatum and there was interesting stat that Tatum made me that caught my eye is that he led the NBA in aggregate points. He played more games than any of those guys. He had more aggregate rebounds than any of those guys and was third in assists aggregately because of the amount of games he played. Now, I have to tell you that I just found those statistically interesting. But if I were going to have to pick somebody, I guess I'd have to pick the Joker. You know, um, you know, 
from the field. And one of the leaders, he is like third in the NBA in rebounds. He was, what, third in assists. Uh, You know, he hit 38% from three-point land. It was the number one team in the West from start to finish. There is no doubt about it. The best team, you know, in the West this year, without question, was Denver during the regular season. Now, the question that we're going to batter around is that will this translate into – how will this translate into playoffs? But, you know, based on stats, based on – and by the way, he played 69 games. So he was second of the MVP candidates to Tatum because availability is critical, I think, when you're talking about the MVP. So I would – Joker, what are your thoughts? Well, I agree with you, Jim, and uh, that those games played are getting to be a big issue. There's now talk about having a statistical uh, level uh, where you have to have a certain amount of games, and I think they're, 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 the consensus is leaning towards 65 games being you have to at least play that to have your stats uh, uh, you know, qualify you for the not only the categories, but for MVP and and some of these other awards. But the thing about the Joker, uh, Nikola Jokic has averaged 9.8 assists for a big man, a center. And and that is just mind boggling. I mean, Chamberlain led the uh, league in assists once, but I think it was in the sixes or something. You know, it certainly was nowhere near 10 assists a game. And that is so remarkable to, to be able to coordinate an offense from that far out and then hit a, a percentage of 63% of your shots also. It, it, it's an amazing thing we're seeing. That is, that is unprecedented territory. But when I get back to my point about popularity contest, it seems like the last things people have seen, and because uh, uh, the Joker sat out some games near the end of the season and Joel Embiid had had some big games going down the stretch. Uh, I think the, uh, the 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 populace is leaning towards Embiid because you hear it uh, in the um, you know in the media. You hear talk about MVP, and it seems like it's been between Ante Takumbo, Embiid, and Joker, and then of course Tatum gets in there, but. By my feelings, and you and I agree, I think uh, uh, Jokic should be the MVP, but I don't think he will be. I, I, I got a feeling it's going to be Embiid. I agree with you. You know, he, he, I think he got 50 points in a game, a critical game, in, you know, in the last couple. Of, and the, there's a groundswell press to elect him and not put – the Joker in with Larry Bird and some of the other icons that have been three-time consecutive MVPs. So I think that we both agree that Embiid is going to be elected, but we both agree based on what we've seen this year that it should be Djokovic. Well, and if you and I agree, you know, well, that's that's coming right down from the mountain. Uh, and <laughs> That's the big stone. 
<laughs> yeah, that, you know, uh, that's if you and I are agreeing, then it, it becomes fact. Just about. Biblical. Pretty good. <laughs> so where would, would you like to start in the east or in the west? I'll uh, leave it up to you. I think we should go the west because of your attachment uh, to uh, the Los Angeles Lakers uh, franchise and what's happening uh, with their playoff, uh, you know, an incredible victory in their in their first game oh. in the uh, play-in tournament. But they have finally gotten healthy. They are starting to blend. There's a combination of uh, Coach Ham, the way he's, uh, you know, substituting, the, the buttons he's pushing, the way the team is responding. Uh, it's really pretty remarkable. And that a lot of the other talking experts, Jim, are talking about uh, the Lakers being able to make a run. What do you think? Well, first of all, I think we need to pay tribute to the game between Minnesota and Los Angeles, the Lakers. I mean, it was so great, Super Dave, seeing, you know, you know, 30, 40, $40 million athletes diving for loose balls. You know, they all left it out in overtime. And I think Finch, the coach of, of Minnesota, did a remarkable job to, with two of their starters gone. Um, I do, but so I, I want to pay tribute to that game because, you know, I mean, it was just unbelievable. I couldn't believe Anthony Davis fouled the guy in the corner. And the guy hit Connolly hit three free throws to put the game in overtime. I mean, it was as entertaining of a pro basketball game that I have seen this year, Super Dave. What were your thoughts on the game? No, the same feeling. That was just a remarkable game because of what was at stake uh, and the fact that you're right, that there's guys, you know, and, and it was interesting that at the end of the game, LeBron dove for a ball and it was a 50-50 play. And they called a foul on him. And, you know, he's traditionally, you know, kind of a real whiner when it comes to foul. But he didn't he didn't make a big issue of that. But it was a bad, bad call. But the effort put forth on both those teams. And, yeah, and Minnesota was so undermanned. Uh, uh, three of their key uh, players were, were, were gone from that game. Uh, but they put up a, a monumental effort. And it was uh, it was so much fun to watch. And it's, it's part of the reason, like I said before, Jim, that this podcast, I think, is so valuable to the casual NBA fan. If you listen to the things that you and I are focusing on and things that we sort of shed a little bit of light on when they might be in the dark corner of your mind in terms of watching these games, I think it'll help you enjoy the game of pro basketball a little bit more. And a game like that, Jim, is a, a real testimony to what we're talking about. It, it, I just loved the game. I mean, it was, you know, uh, I was, uh, it was nerve wracking for me because, you know, the Lakers needed the rest. Let's face it, you know, with LeBron and AD, they're going to be banged up after a game like that. Yeah, they didn't go down. Yeah, they played, you know, in the, in, they both played in the 40s, but they're going to be ached in pain all over and bruised. So I was very happy to see that they could sit out. And, you know, Super Dave, they play Memphis. 
Memphis is a damn tough team. Well, you know, that's they battle royal. They got they go nine deep in the NBA. Nine players score nine points. You know, they'll shorten the bench up. But one of you know what an underrated acquisition and player on there. I mean, we all know about you know, Morant being an incredible athlete, Bain and Brooks and Jackson. You know, these guys are very, very <laughs> tough players. But a obscure stat, Luke Kennard led the NBA in three-point percentage. He shot 54% from three-point land. 54%. And he averages about for a game. I mean, that is, just, you know, he hits over two a game. And, you know, I just, you know, I'm hoping that the Lakers experience, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, AD and, 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 you know, and Austin Reeves and Darvin Ham and LeBron and experience overshadows the youthful vigor and intensity of Memphis. I mean, Memphis, you know, John Morant, some of these guys, Bain, John Morant, Jackson, these guys are intensely competitive men. And you know that they're reading all the predictions about them being a three seed going down to the Lakers. They're going to be ferocious out there. Plus the fact Memphis is I believe they're number one in defense in the West. And I, you know, I want to root for the Lakers, but Memphis is awfully tough. But you talk about intensity, Jim, and I think in the Minnesota game, it showed when the Lakers got down by 15 points in the second half, you know yourself, Jim, when a game gets to that stage in the second half, 15 points, it, it, it becomes uh, for the team down like it's the last minute of the game because if you go down by 17 or 18 at that point, it, it's just about out of hand. Uh, conversely, if you can get it under 15 into single digits, uh, it's a big difference. So uh, the intensity was cranked up by the Lakers, and it shows that they can do that. When that was a game that, you know, because of the deficiencies of Minnesota and their their lack of three of their best players, they should have probably taken that game over in the first half. But the, as we segue to the Grizzlies, that intensity the Lakers showed me gives me uh, some some feelings that they are going to be able to match up when, when everything you've told me uh, and mentioned about the Grizzlies is true. They are a, a powerhouse team that's going to be a – it's going to be a great series. I think that series could go the distance, Jim. I agree. I agree. And, you know, being a, you know, a, a shameless Laker fan, I'm going to pick the Lakers in seven. It's going to be a dogfight. No, that's, that's kind of what I feel. And what you and I experienced in the Laker Minnesota game is going to be uh, a reason to watch a series that goes that long. It's going to be so much fun because it's been such an uphill battle for the Lakers. Uh, you know, they, they, since the all-star break, have been the second best record in, in the, uh, the NBA. Did you know that? 
No, you mentioned that last time we were on. And, you know, the only reason I was talking about the beginning of the season last time, but this is from the All Star break to now. It was, I talked about the the 2 and 12 start. uh, And then after that, so this is since the All Star break, they're the number two team. They were the number four team after their horrible start uh, to wherever wherever we were talking about the season. So it's just a, a testimony to me to their comeback ability. And Coach Ham, I have the utmost respect for him because he has been, to me, the mastermind. And what we talked about at the beginning of the show, uh, LeBron James' team spirit and his, uh, the way he holds everything together, the, the combination of those two is a winning formula. And, and Anthony Davis being healthy, uh, that gives the Lakers a fighting chance, Jim. I totally I totally agree. I, you know, I'm going to pick the Lakers out of loyalty and some some logic you are conveying here about the fact that they ratcheted up the defense and that when you know when when Darvin Ham started pushing the right buttons. And by the way, I think Darvin Ham, based on the second half of the season, should be coach of the year. Is just or either that or I'm not sure who coaches Sacramento, but they've had an incredible. Mike run. Brown, Mike Brown won the uh, right. I, he he is coach of the year apparently. Is he okay? Well, you can't. I mean, that's tough to argue with. I mean, this team has been a bunch of flunkies. They've been a terrible team for a number of years in terms of playoffs, and now they were. You know, they're. They were second, I believe, in the NBA, right, or third. Um, but they're, you know, uh, I'm picking the Lakers. Got to pick the Lakers. And so you're you're the same there? Yes. And and talking about Sacramento, what a series we're going to have with the Sacramento. My Kings, Lord. Golden State Warriors. Oh, my. Oh, my. So, you know, normally I would be, well, Sacramento plays terrible defense. You know, and, you know, and, you know, they're really, really good at, at, uh, at offense. I mean, they, you know, they run, 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 run. I mean, they are so good. Let me give you a stat on that, Jim. Okay. Oh, I love your stats. Okay, these stats. I know you love these. The Sacramento Kings had the most efficient offense in NBA history, Jim, because they scored. A hundred and eighteen point six points per a hundred possessions in a regular season. Really, that that turns out to be the record. And there's a there's an interesting stat I was reading about. Uh, Sabonis and Kevin Herter uh, have the most efficient handoff record. Now, now, this is this is bizarre. I, I didn't even know they had these stats, Jim, but I, I'm looking it up more and more to try to keep up with you in the statistical analysis. So bonus <laughs> handed off to Werder. That's Kevin Werder, who's a great outside shooter, 477 times this year, 119 more times than any other handoff combination in the league. And that led directly uh, to the shot the Kings scored 1.19 points per, per chance, uh, which is the best mark of 15, com- uh, of 15 other combinations where they had a, a more than 100 
a handoff. So that combination of Sabonis and Herter uh, is is tops in the league. Well, that I mean, if you if you know, I, I love to geek out on numbers sometimes. If you think about that, so if you maximum you could do a handoff number is three, right? That would be the maximum. Now, if you do two, that means that you're hitting about, you know, over 66% of your shots, assuming it's a three-point shot. So this is like statistically, it is an incredible stat. I would be very curious to see how this ranks, you know, historically. Because I don't think there are too many others. And part of the reason they were so effective is because they both played so many games. Herder is one, you know, it's funny that you say that because, you know, everybody knows De'Aaron Fox is like one of those uber-athletic guys who can score and dish the ball. And we all know Sabonis is a great passer and the best rebounder this year in the NBA both aggregately and per game because he played so many. But Horner, I think, is an underrated player who shoots over 40% from the three-point land, gets over a steal and about a steal and a third a game, and he averages almost 16 points. I mean, he is the third person there. And I'm glad you brought him up because he doesn't hit too many radar screens, and for the fan out there, you ought to check this guy out. He is really, you know, came out of Maryland, and he got, tra- I can't even remember who who the Sacramento Kings traded him for, but he is an excellent player, a good defender, and he is part of the big three of the Sacramento Kings Super Day. Oh, he definitely is, and uh, he's a little little known star. He also is another star, and the reason uh, I know you'd like to see historically, but I don't think they've kept these stats for more than a couple of years. I I can't believe they come up with this, but but Herder it moves faster, four point eight two miles per hour on offense. He never he never stops moving. He's kind of the John the current day John Havlicek, Jim. Really? Yeah. I, mean, I, I, such... I don't know where they come, to, come up with these stats, but they got them now. I, I absolutely love that stat. And that is the reason, you know, like somebody moving around like that. You know, if I'm understanding the statistics, so he is moving that quickly in half-court offense. Yes, and 4.82 miles per hour on offense. I mean, trying. You know, somebody who is in constant motion. So the man's never standing around. So no. he's always moving and trying to account for somebody like that who can shoot. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Super Dave, he is six 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 seven. I mean, he's not, you know, you're not talking about a 6'2 point guard. You're talking about a shooting, you know, uh, you're talking about a wing player in the NBA. And I love that stat, Super Dave. I'm, uh, you know what? My hands are blistered from applauding your stats. <laughs> but I think it gives us a, a depth of appreciation of the game when you get to those nuances because uh, so much goes unseen by the casual fan. I, 
I, I think back to my uh, early days of uh, uh, and, and my love for baseball and that people get bored with the game. But if you don't know the inside parts of the game uh, and haven't played basketball now and then seeing these stats, I, I wish they'd had them longer because I'm like you. I've had, I've had this this long association with a statistical analysis, but they're breaking down uh, NBA basketball. Like uh, they're doing the same thing with golf too, by the way, Jim, I'm, I, I'm, ex I'm a big golf fan too. And they, they break things down statistically now in golf that way, but it gives you a, a greater appreciation of what you're seeing and it gives you something to look for. So that series between the Kings and the, the Golden State Warriors and talk about uh, not, not stopping moving Steph, Curry is one of those guys, too, that is just constantly moving. And that's how he gets those shots off, because, like you said, he's not he's not a, a big guy, but he certainly gets those uh, those wide open looks is because he never stops moving, Jim. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, we you know, it's it's it, you know, this is going to be a fascinating series, because, first of all, you know, I don't know. It's like all of a sudden. You know, this year, Sacramento has not only got three really good players, okay, two all-stars and another really good player, but they're deep. I mean, you know, people forget Harrison Barnes. He's a solid player. Malik Monk. Um, what is it? Keegan Murray. Um, he is He's going to be second in the, I believe, in the rookie of the year voting. You know, they are they are loaded and deep and they love to run. And I have to tell you, Super Dave, that that this is going to be such a fascinating offensive matchup because these are the two, I think, one statistically for sure, Sacramento Kings are the best in the West when it comes to when it comes to uh, offense. Now. Golden State statistically was not one of the best, but when they're at full strength with Wiggins, with Clay Thompson, who, by the way, is back to the way he used to be, with Steph Curry, Draymond Green, you know, Looney is underappreciated, Poole, Gary Payton. I mean, this is going to be a fabulous up-and-down series, Super Dave. It's going to be unbelievable. It is. It really is. It's one to watch. And uh, be interested to see. And and the Golden State Warriors are, are now, like you said, healthy. And that is a factor that we've talked about many times on this podcast is the uh, the timing of uh, when you get your team all together and they're they're on a uh, on a roll. And that's what Golden State is. And and all all season long, Sacramento's been consistently one of the best in the league. But now Golden State is going to come out of probably a, a little bit of surprising. I mean, they had that one, a terrible record on the road this year, Jim. And I, I think some of that has to do with the, uh, with the injuries, but it's, uh, it's a, it's a matter of uh, how this series plays out. And that extra game at home could, could really be the deciding factor for the Kings. Well, yeah. And what you have here, and this is a classic matchup. This is like the Lakers and Memphis. You have, the young team versus the hungry young stars trying to trying to make a name for themselves, trying to make a dent in NBA history. I mean, they have a chance to unseed a dynasty. 
And then, on, you know, when you talk about Golden State, you have a situation here where you have such professionals, such experience, such knowledgeable players. Uh, you know, this is a classic matchup, and I won't be able to take my eyes off the TV watching these two teams because they are going to be flying up and down the court. I do not see this as a grind out. Like, let's say, for example, Lakers were playing Sacramento. I think Sacramento would have a much tougher time because the Lakers are going to grind it out. Where where um, the Golden State Warriors, you know, they love to put up the three. And when you put up the three as much as they do, there tends to be rebounds, and they tend to be long rebounds, and people are running. This is going to be an up-and-down game, and it's going to be very unusual for the playoffs because it's usually a grinded-out, you know, defensive half court. I don't think this is going to be like that, Super Dave. What are your thoughts? Well, one of the interesting things uh, that's going to be keyed off on this series is that both Sacramento and the Golden State could could stay right in their area here throughout the playoffs in the West because the Lakers are another team, the Clippers are another team that that uh, could emerge out of here. So you got Clippers, Lakers, Golden State, and Sacramento all in the same area that won't have to travel too far uh, in the course of the playoffs, but. What you're saying uh, point. is true, and that and that defense. Uh, if you ever listen to, to Steve Kerr talk about Draymond Green uh, and what he means to that team, he not only kind of runs, uh, uh, you know, the the transition offense a lot of times, but he he keys the defense. And I think the things that we talked about are the, the strength of the Sacramento Kings are, could be compromised. Uh, with Dramond Green and the and the defensive strategy that will be part of adjustments from game to game. That's what's going to be so fascinating uh, to watch. And, and that's another thing about the NBA. With seven-game series, Jim, I always loved watching what happens from halftime to halftime and game to game with adjustments. I My, my utmost respect always went to Pat Riley because I thought he was one of the, the best adjustment coaches uh, in the NBA during his ten, during his tenure, and I think we're going to see a lot of that in the in the Kings Golden State series. I think you know it's hard to pick against the dynasty right now. You know, I think that you know I like I like uh, Golden State in uh, you know I, I guess I got to take him in seven, huh? What do you think? No, we're we're in agreement again. That's exactly what I'm thinking. I I lean to Golden State, and I think it's going to go the full seven, and uh, and and it's just the the whole West is going to be fascinating because there's oh. there's so many teams that can emerge here, and I think I'm going to stick with my long range prediction of Phoenix, uh, but it's it, it, any one of these teams would not surprise me if they get there, including including Jim as your Lakers. Oh, I love you. I, I love it and love you for saying that. Now, so that brings us to how do you see the, the Clippers and the Suns unfolding? That's going to be an interesting series too, Super Dave. That is. Uh, the, the health, of course, is a, a, a big factor. 
Paul George, I think, is going to be out for at least the first game or two. So that's going to be a, a, a compromising situation. Uh, but I think the Clippers have been playing a, a, a great brand of basketball. And uh, uh, Kawhi Leonard is, uh, is back, Jim. He's got some uh, amazing numbers that he's, he's rolling up to. Yes, and you know that Russell Westbrook is going to be chewing nails to prove everybody wrong because he caught a lot of crap this year. And he's been denigrated, you know, by the media. And this is his chance to prove everybody wrong. I agree with you, though. I do not think that, you know, that half of the two best wings in basketball, which are Kawhi and uh, George. I don't think George is healthy for this. And I like, I like Phoenix in four. Okay, here's another stat. Four, for... I'm sorry, Phoenix in six. Okay. Uh, I, I, I almost agree with you up and down the line. And like we said, we don't rehearse this, but that's exactly how I'm feeling. But let me give you another, uh, another stat that you'll love about Kawhi Leonard. And I just found this out. He, <laughs> he averaged the, the last time the Clippers, Clippers were in the playoffs, uh, Kawhi Leonard averaged 30.4 points of true shooting percentage of 67.9%, the highest mark in NBA history for somebody that averaged 30 points in eight or more playoff games. That's 63 total chances. His numbers this year after the All-Star break this season, he's he's averaging 27.1 points a game and hitting 66.1%, which is not far off those NBA all-time history numbers. Well, I mean, there's I mean, he's been MVP of the NBA playoffs and a two-time champion. I, you know, I don't think there are too many players in the, currently in the NBA that are as clutch as he is. And once again, I love – where are you getting these stats, Super Dave? I'm feeling – usually, like, I'm, like, you know, pretty good at, like, pulling stats out and amazing people. But you are – I mean, this is I, – I bow to you. <laughs> well, I'll take you. I'll tell you where I'm getting them, Jim. I, uh, I, I get this uh, uh, email from the NBA. I don't know what it, how I got it. I didn't subscribe to anything, but it's a, uh, it, you know, it, it sends out little videos and little nuggets like that. Uh, and I, I read it every day, and it's fascinating because, you know, I'm just a stat nut like you are, and they come up with these great stats that, you know, you can see a general – a thing that you have an opinion of, but when you see it that, uh, identified in numbers, Jim, I think that's what fascinates you and I and people like us is that it kind of confirms what your eyes are seeing and sometimes uh, helps you see things that you don't see. So that's the the value of these stats, and that's where I'm getting it from. It's uh, I'll send you a link to that uh, NBA, and so you can have that too. Uh, yeah, please. I mean, I want to. I want to be able to keep up with you. You know, I'm a competitive guy, and uh, 
I'm getting my ass kicked statistically today, but which is good. You know, the, the audience is reaping the benefits. And so um, what about Minnesota? Do you think they have a chance against Denver? Yeah, yes, I do. And it's because of the parody uh, in the NBA now that we're talking about. Uh, but it's a, it's an outside chance because of their, uh, their injuries and the, 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 the loss of, uh, uh, you know, t- two of their key players that is going to make the difference in that series. And I do think that Denver sort of put it on cruise control at the end of the year, Jim. And I, I don't think they were uh, in, as intense as they were because they were consistently the best record in the NBA in the, the first half of the season. And I think they're going to uh, probably kick it up a notch. And I would say, uh, even though Minnesota will be a competitive, I think, uh, I, I think Denver kind of wins it fairly handily. I, I think bring out your broom. Uh, I think this is going to be a sweep. We shall see. So, that would mean that Denver would play the Lakers and, and Golden State would play Phoenix. And how do you see those games unfolding? Wow. Uh, with the Lakers, one thing we didn't talk about, about LeBron James this year, I don't know if you've noticed it or if I'm just seeing things, but he's playing better defense than I've ever seen him play before. I mean, he has really upped his game defensively as far as I'm seeing. And I think he could help that uh, matchup with Denver uh, because of their ball movement and and how well they play the half-court offense. And I think the Lakers can kick it up a notch defensively. And if LeBron and Davis really, really pour it on, they're going to give Denver a bad time. So the dead talk to me, please, about the Anthony Davis, once again, if he's not healthy, forget it. But let's assume he's, you know, of reasonable health against the Joker. How do you see that going? Well, I was thinking that even though that's the matchup that we anticipate, I would if I were the were Ham, I, I Darvin Ham, I would put I would put LeBron on the Joker. I put him out front because he doesn't he doesn't play under, and I don't think he's going to take uh, would take James to the hole. And I think taking Davis that far out uh, on defense might be uh, problematic for the Lakers. Uh, I'm going to be really curious to see how that's played. I don't think it'll be played that way, but I just like what I'm seeing with LeBron, and I would I would like to see him try to stop the Joker's. Uh, maneuvering that offense from the top of the key and, uh, uh, and see how that goes. At least try it a couple of times down the floor. Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, if I'm Darvin Ham, I'm thinking if Joker starts posting up, I put AD on him. If he's at the top of the key orchestrating things, or even at the free throw line, I put LeBron on him. I think that is a really good uh, – that's a really good observation, Super Dave. Well, you know, and then you could – go ahead. Th- this is a little aside uh, back to my basketball career. I played for uh, El Camino College and uh, George Stanich, who was uh, 
John Wooden's first All-American basketball player, and he taught me how to play defense by moving laterally. And I could guard guards, Jim, uh, better than I could the big men because I was so skinny. At six six, it was that was the height was fine, but I got pushed around underneath the basket. I remember going up against Keith Erickson, and Keith Erickson just chewed me up. I mean, he was too strong for me. I couldn't compete under the basket. But get me out front on a little guard who thinks he can beat me. He can't beat me laterally. I'm not fast straight up and down. But it's, with my hand up at six six, I caused some trouble. So LeBron James at six eight to to uh, the Joker's 6'10", and the way he moves still, I think he would give the Joker a bad time. That's what that's one of the things I thought it as I as I as I projected that, but I don't think it's going to happen, Jim. Yeah, I think that. How about statistically? Do you think that that AD can out rebound and outscore the Joker? I mean, that's a distinct possibility, and if that happens. I like, you know, and once again, you're looking, I have got such a jaundiced, biased eye perspective, <clears throat> you know, that I like the Lakers in this series. No, uh, and, and back to AD then. Yes, he is playing now. When he turns it on, he can score inside uh, uh, on the Joker and he can, uh, and he will give the, the Joker a bad time defensively uh, because of his size. And, you know, he's popped up with a couple of 20 rebound games and stuff. So uh, if you get the, the rebounding advantage against Denver and keep uh, Jokic at bay, uh, I do think the Lakers really have a legitimate shot because they are playing a brand of basketball that is just uh, phenomenal. And that's just going to be another one of these great matchups that you and I are going to be looking forward to. Yeah, I think it's going to be Lakers in seven. Um, I can't even make a prediction on that series. I think you're, <laughs> I think you're picking with your heart, and I'm I'm pulling for the Lakers too. But uh, the Joker is my is my favorite player in today's game, so uh, I'm sort of leaning to them. But I I I can't even make a prediction on that series. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to go seven. And we know what you think is going to happen with. Phoenix and and Golden State, right? We know what you think is going to happen there. Yes, I I think, but I but once again, I think that's going to be a good series. Uh, I do think that uh, Kevin Durant is playing some of his best basketball, and they they keep quoting that he's won like twenty of his last twenty two games or something that he's been in, going back to the uh, the Nets. But he's playing. He's playing great. He's blended in. He's one of those guys that that fits in wherever he goes, and uh, everything that they've got. I love Aiton as a young center, and 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 uh, Chris Paul is still playing at a high level, and Booker is a scoring machine. Uh, that's going to be a that's going to be a fun series. But I do think Phoenix is going to prevail there. I think that they're going to be uh, a really a handful. Yeah, I think that uh, it's going to be Phoenix and the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. And before we pick who's going to win that game, let's go. Do you mind going to the East? No, I think we better hit that before we pull the plug here. (laughs) Yeah, 
we've, we've so we spend a lot of time in the West, but for good reasons. If that's going to be fascinating, I don't think the the East is going to be even close to being as interesting. Totally agree. So, you know, we've got does does Miami have a puncher's chance against Milwaukee? Uh, no. I, I saw Miami, I saw Miami let down against uh, who was that uh, I forget who it was but uh, they I, I don't think they can count on on Butler carrying them the distance and uh, uh, that that buck team is just too hard to handle yeah I, uh, I you know no uh, Miami may get a game. If I had to predict, I'd predict I'd bring my broom out with a sweep. Now, what about okay, what about Boston and Atlanta? Do you think? I mean, we're going to go through this pretty quickly to get to the critical matchup. So, does Atlanta have it with Trey Young and Capella have a chance against the Boston juggernaut? None. That's a sweep. That's yeah, a, I agree. Boston sweep. Uh, you know it's. That's all right. They're just gonna they're gonna push aside Atlanta. I totally agree. And you know that's funny about like all of the first round matchups with the West are very interesting. You know, and you know we're kind of insecure about making calls a little bit, but not in the East. I mean, and so you know, there's another one that I think is going to be you know Philadelphia and Brooklyn and Cleveland in New York. I mean, do you think New York's got a chance against Cleveland or Brooklyn's got a chance against Philly? I I think the Knicks have a chance. Ooh. And I, I'll tell you the guy that I am just absolutely thrilled with uh, is Jalen Brunson. He has emerged. Uh, he's averaging 24 points with the Knicks when he was just at 16 with, uh, with Dallas last year. And Half of those points, believe it or not, he's a great outside shooter. 11.8 points of his uh, points, this is another stat for you that I got off that end, is coming on drives, Jim. He's got 19.6 drives per game, which ranks fourth in the league of driving to the basket. You know who the other three are? Gilligas, Alexander, John Morant, and Luka Dantich. Those are the three. Really, those are the three, and you can you can feel like they would be in the top five for sure. So those three, but Brunson is fourth as driving to the basket. So and what's he? He's like five eleven, six feet, maybe six one. Yeah, I think he's maybe six one, but you're right. He's he's small, but he has that pivot move that's kind of. Uh, it's not like Dantich's move, but it's a. Uh, it's a it's a pivot left and right that give, that that gives him room to shoot it. I remember, uh, 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 who was it? Uh, Dandry. Uh, oh, Adrian Dantley. Adrian Dantley. Remember how he yes. at six yeah. four would go in with the trees and get shots off there. And so he reminds me of an Adrian Dantley. And uh, uh, but but I I just love him and and the way Randall is playing and. Uh, uh, Garrett, uh, I, I think the Knicks uh, have a real good chance of, uh, of making some damage uh, in the playoffs. See, I think 
from what I've read is that Randall, who makes them go, I've got so much respect for them, for him, is banged up. Of course, everybody is. I mean, I like Cleveland in this series. And that Cleveland is deep and they're good. They've got good guards. They've got good wings. They've they're, I believe, let me double check, they're number one, number two, um, they're number two in the league in defense in the, in the West. I mean, you know, they're number one, by the way, interestingly enough, in point differential in the NBA on a per game basis because they score and play defense. So, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Knicks, and I think I don't think that that uh, that Brooklyn's got even a prayer against Philly. I think we could bring out the broom and sweep that away. No, pretty much so. But it's uh, it's kind of interesting how uh, when Bridges came over from the Suns, how how he really kept that team uh, uh, competitive, the Nets. But I, 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 yeah, I just don't think they have a, a chance against Philly. And Philly's playing some real good basketball at, at the end of the season. I, I do agree with you that they deserve acknowledgement for in a rugged, rugged East making the playoffs. I mean, they made the playoffs in the East and, you know, with all the dysfunction and the turmoil and the toxicity and, you know, all the turnover that they've had, you know, I think that the coach that replaced Nash, and I can't think of his name, has done a great job. And I think that they deserve some acknowledgement. I don't oh, think they have a chance. That's a very good point because just think of it losing Durant and Irving and uh, Harden. I mean, how do you how do you make an adjustment and how do you get chemistry back on that team? And I thought that when Durant left, they were just going to drop like a uh, you know a brick in the ocean, but good grief. They, they hung in there. So you're right. That's a, you got to give them some credit. And I, I don't know who that coach is either, but I, we got to look him up and, and give him some credit in our next podcast. Absolutely. And it's also, you know, he's had the, you know, he's had a deal with the Ben Simmons drama. I, I, you know, I mean, the fact the turmoil that, that team and turnover it, that it went through and the fact that they still, you know, made the, the playoffs is a testimonial to a team that I thought would be among the worst in the NBA. Yeah. So that leads us to more here. So Dave, are you there? I you were cutting out on me, Jim. I didn't hear what you were saying. It was fraught with wisdom and insight, but I forget what I oh, said. It must, have, it must have been good. I'm sorry I missed it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it looked cut <laughs> off, but we weren't. So that leaves the final four. It would be Milwaukee versus Cleveland and Philly versus Boston. You know, let's take, I think, which is fairly obvious, I love Cleveland. I love their team. But I don't think they can put up with – I don't think they can – win any more than a game or two at the most against Milwaukee. What are your thoughts? Uh, I, I agree. I, I, I think Milwaukee is, uh, 
is so consistent. They're they're not one of these hot and cold teams. And uh, and uh, Giannis, uh, you know, if he's not on his game, they they, they pick up the slack. Middleton's starting to round into form again. Uh, I I think uh, it's it's just almost uh, it's it's hard to imagine the Bucks not coming out of the East. Yeah, Bucks in five or six is what I see it. Uh, so that brings us to Philadelphia and Boston. Boy, is that going to be a tough game? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I, I I'd have to go because Boston just baffles me sometimes. I've seen them play some really really bad games, and then I've seen them you know, look like they can't be beaten. So I don't know what to think about them. And uh, I, I'm not and, – and, and almost the same thing with Philadelphia. Philadelphia has these these strange uh, points. Uh, I would lean to Boston, but I don't feel very confident either way, Jim. I think, Super Dave, that it comes down to it's going to be a dogfight either way. I see this seven games. I think the difference between the two teams is whether Robert Williams III can play and contribute because he's a monster. And I just, I don't see any bigs on Boston stopping Embiid unless they have Robert Williams III. So that's kind of my perspective. No, we've, we've agreed before on Williams, how, how it, he keys Boston's defense, and they're not. It's hard to handle Embiid around the basket without some kind of rim protector. And uh, I, I don't know what Williams' injuries are, but they they seem to keep get, getting him in and out of the lineup. So it's hard to hard to imagine. But uh, Embiid is playing as good as he's ever played. He he, he hits a great percentage. He doesn't take bad shots. Uh, and yet he still can, uh, you know, he still puts it up from outside uh, uh, quite frequently, but he's able to go inside uh, when you, when you, uh, if you don't cut off the lane. So uh, he's a handful, but, but when you got uh, Brown and Tatum uh, and the way they're scoring uh, in, in bunches for Boston, it's going to be a, it's going to be a battle. Both of these teams are loaded. They are so loaded. You know, I have to tell you that the the surprise player of the year for me is Harden, what he has done leading the league and leading the NBA in assists. His turnover, it's 3.5 assists per turnover. He's taking care of the ball. You know, he's doing a great job. And who's Maxie, right? Isn't he your boy? Yeah, Maxie's my boy. Maxi Harden and Embiid. You know, now the more I think of it, I'll, I'll I'll go with Philadelphia there, Jim. Once again, it kind of in seven. Yeah, in seven. Okay, well, so Super Dave, what I would thought we're seventy five minutes into the podcast. This is the largest, longest podcast we ever did, and I was thinking, you know, we have, you know, the universe of things we have to talk about, which is the playoffs is a lot smaller than our general podcast, so we would take less time, but that wasn't the case at all. But um, why don't we save for our next podcast, 
our prediction for who's going to come out of the, uh, the East and the West, and then who's going to win the NBA championship as, lo- as well as an update on the playoffs. Does that make sense to you? It does to me. I think that's a good, uh, it's a good strategy, Jim. Super Dave, you know the drill. You're the guest. You know, in summation, what would you like to say about the NBA playoffs, the history, the present, the future? The floor is yours. I'd like to say, uh, going back, kind of an echo of our beginning of our podcast, the fact that I started watching the NBA in 1958-59 season and where it's come uh, it's, it's a completely different type of a game, but I still enjoy it like I did in my early years. And I really enjoy doing these podcasts with you, Jim, because to find somebody that has a statistical match to me and has the passion for the NBA that I do, it, it's fun, but it's also instructive to other people if they, if they care to listen to us that uh, uh, this is a good way to enjoy some time in front of a a TV with sports, and it's a game that I think, you know, uh, as opposed to the game of Major League Baseball that's lost me years ago, uh, I still love the NBA. And a shout-out to Jacques Vaughn, the head coach of the New Jersey Nets. He's the he's the man that brought that team around. And uh, uh, Mikhail Bridges, uh, I think, was a key part of their addition. But he, uh, Jacques Vaughn, is the guy that, that got that net team uh, is still hanging into the playoffs, and uh, good luck to them. And let's do this again real soon, Jim. Super Dave, we're going to do it next week, uh, you know, after the first round of the playoffs. And I want to thank everybody for listening. And Super Dave, it is terrific having you on. And thank everybody for listening to the Who Gives a Shit Files. God bless Randy Larson. God bless him. <laughs>